Hey, what's up, Resonate? So good to be together. I feel like this is the culmination to an epic weekend. How many of you came to the women's conference yesterday? Yeah, I just heard it was so good. Heard nothing but good things and so thankful uh, for our leadership and for our women just forging great friendships. Amazing. And then there was another thing that happened. You might not be aware of this, but Res Kids had a camp this weekend. And uh, it was actually supposed to be at Sugar Bowl um, up in the mountains, but it snowed so much that they couldn't get up there. So they actually changed it to bridges and did this whole kind of chaotic transformation. And yet our fifth graders got to enjoy camp this weekend over at that church. So praise God for like some great stuff happening uh, at, at Resonate. And so thankful that you, we all get to be a part, part of this in partnership together. So I'm going to start with the question this morning. Um, have you ever received a gift and never realized how awesome it is? Um, I remember someone gave me a Swiss army knife. And you know, like typically, like small little pocket blade knives, they have like a knife in them. But if you have a Swiss army knife, you are set for life. I mean, there's like tweezers, there's a toothpick in there, and scissors. You know, I mean, and some of them just go on forever with the different benefits. And it's like this gift that you think you got it, and you're like, thank you. But then you get out into the jungle or somewhere camping, and you're like, I need scissors. And you're like, I got my Swiss army knife. And that gift just keeps on giving. You know, it's just amazing. And I was just thinking, like, the gospel is one such gift like that. When we begin to understand, and this is Tim Keller's quote, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, and yet, get this part, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope that that's a gift that overflows in so many ways, isn't it? It's a, it's a gift that just kind of keeps on giving. It's a gift that you just don't know the potential. You don't know when Jesus is going to show up. You don't know when the Holy Spirit is going to show up. And in fact, um, Paul in the book of Galatians, he says the fruit of the Spirit or really the fruit of living in the gospel is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. How many of you could use more of that in your life? Like for sure. And this is, this is what the gospel does. And um, this morning... We, we're going through our series, Refractions, and it's really all about the gospel. It's when God's love pours into us, what comes out of us? And you might have noticed in our logo, you know, our logo is a diamond because there's so many different refractions that come out of that diamond that the love of God pours into us and it pours out. And so far, we've looked at love, we've looked at truth, we've looked at patience, tolerance, kindness, and peace. And today, uh, we're going to look at a, another subject called self-control self-control. I know you're stoked, aren't you? <laughs> self-control. Like that's what I wanted to show up and talk about this morning. So this is great. So what is self-control? It's the ability to control our impulsiveness. I, I met a young man between hours and I said, oh, are you going to go out and get a donut? And he said, I'm, I'm not really hungry. I'm like, you can skip the sermon, dude. Like if you, if you, if you want to skip the donut line because you're not hungry, you have enough self-control. You know, that's what I felt like telling him. But it's our ability to control our impulsiveness. Self-control isn't the idea of taking away our ability to act, but rather to control our ability to act in the best way. That's what it is. Now, I'm, I am not a person who is marked by self-control. If you knew me well uh, and you said, here's some characteristics that I would say this marks your life, self-control would not be on that list. You know, I think many times I've had that ready, shoot, aim philosophy. Anybody else? You know, like ready, shoot, aim. You just wish you had done that in a little bit of a different order. Um, in 1972, a guy named Walter Mischel 
over at Stanford did what they called the marshmallow experience experiment. Have you ever heard of this? The marshmallow experiment? What they did was this guy took young kids, young children, and he put them in a room and said, hey, you've got one marshmallow on your desk right now, and I'm going to go out of the room for 10 minutes, and if you can wait 10 minutes uh, and not touch your marshmallow, not eat your marshmallow, I will give you another marshmallow, and then you can enjoy two. And then he just walks out of the room and sees what happens. And sure enough, all these kids are looking at each other, and they're wondering, and about five minutes in, some of them are licking the marshmallow. Some of them are nibbling around the edges. You know, I don't want to eat the whole thing. Like, does partial credit count, you know? And then some have just eaten the whole thing. And then after 10 minutes, he walks back in, and he rewards some, and, and uh, others just got the one marshmallow. And it, it, there's, it's really fun because there's a lot of parents that have tried to mimic this, and they've done YouTube videos of their kids to see if they actually have self-control. What, what's interesting is over the years, as people have studied this uh, experiment, they've actually gone back and said, well, what, why? Why did some kids have the ability to wait for the second marshmallow? Why did some kids eat it directly? And they looked at, you know, is it DNA? Is it economic background? Is it family structure? Like, what is it that actually gives us self-control in our lives? And as we look at scripture today, we want to ask that same question, which is this, where do we find self-control? Where do we find self-control? So I want you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to read uh, Proverbs 25, verse 28. Proverbs 25, 28. And will you stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? Proverbs 25, 28. And it says this. You ready? A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, I'm pretty convinced that this is probably the shortest Bible passage we've ever had at Resonate, so I feel like I need to read it twice. So here we go. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Amen. Thanks be for God's word, and you may be seated. So the scripture says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, what does this actually mean? Now, if you were alive during Solomon's time, the guy who wrote most of the Proverbs, you would know that most societies back then were set up as like little tiny communities, maybe little tiny villages in the middle of nowhere. And those little villages were susceptible to every passing invader, every passing intruder, every passing wild animal, and any force of nature that was going to come through. And so you can imagine, like, the first thing that a, a little commune of people would do is they would set up a wall around their city so that anybody who was walking through or passing through might look at it and go, that's not worth it. Like, I'm not going to go after them. We're not going to intrude their space because it would be too hard to get over that wall. It would be too hard to get through it. It would protect them at nighttime from all the wild animals that were coming through. It would protect them sometimes from the different forces of nature, the wind and so forth that was blowing through. And they would have said something like, we should never be without a wall. It would be a death wish if you took down that wall and just opened yourself up to every intruder because that was their front line of defense. And so what scripture is saying to us is self-control is really our first line of defense because with self-control, you actually pause for a second and you think, hmm, and you are not as susceptible to every attack, every passing whim, and every enemy that is out there. 
Because something happens and you're like, let me think about that. Let me take a step back. Let me, and that's self-control. So whether you are a Christian or not today, I'm sure that you understand the need for self-control in your life. And if, let me help you think through this a little bit. Like, have you ever um, wished that you had more control eating? I remember one Thanksgiving I ate so much that I just had to lay down for like the next three hours. You know, have you ever done that? You ever gone to a buffet and just been like, I am never doing that again in my life. I remember going to Sizzler one time in my 20s. I have not been back since because I hurt myself. I ate so much. Um, How about drinking? I think there's like sometimes when um, we've drank too much and we've done things that we completely regret, said things that we wish we could take back because we're a little bit intoxicated and we just wish we had had a little bit more self-control in that moment. How about the tongue? Uh, James 3, 2 says that anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Don't you, aren't, aren't there sometimes, maybe even this morning where you've said something, even on the way here, we could tell by your body language, that you said something in the car and you wish you could take it back. You know, you're like, oh, this is going to be a great conversation on the way home today right? We've all been there, right? But there's just something that you've said that you're like, as soon as it came out, you knew that wasn't wasn't good and you wish you had more self-control. Or how about sexually? Um, How many of us have ruined relationships because we've either gone outside of that relationship sexually or we have used a person or been used by a person sexually? And we just wish that we had in that moment of, I love him. She loves me. I love, you know, that you wish you had just had a little bit more self-control in that moment. I love what Augustine says. If you're a young person, you might uh, agree with this. Grant me chastity and self-control, but please, not yet. Like, (laughs) I mean, that's an honest plea for self-control as a young person, right? Um, How about emotions? You know, emotionally, have you ever been in that situation where somebody, a coworker, a friend, somebody is saying stuff and they're like poking at you and you just feel like that temperature rising inside. you remember that um, Disney flick, Inside Out, where you see the little red angry guy getting more and more angry and you're like, I know that one, right? And and, uh, as that temper begins to flare, something comes out. And you're like, man, I wish I wouldn't have acted that way. I wish I wouldn't have got so emotional. I wish I wouldn't have let myself respond in that way. Or how about the impulsive desires? You know, you're, you're watching a, um, you're watching late night TV and all of a sudden there's uh, some sort of infomercial that comes on and all of a sudden they have this new way to cook food. And for only four payments of $33.33, they're going to send this, but wait, they've got something more for you as well. And a free gift that you get to keep and And then you start making impulsive desires financially. And some of us, I mean, it may not be an infomercial. Maybe it was something else that you, like, you jumped on it, and it's actually ruined your life financially. Like, it has massive um, ramifications. And don't we wish we had more self-control? And I think whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, you all, we all understand the need for self-control. We agree with Proverbs 25, 28, a man without self-control is like a a city broken into and left without walls. So if we see the need for self-control, how do we go about finding it? Like what's our typical methodology as humans? And I think the first thing we do is we actually try and make decisions and promises to ourselves. You know, like New Year's resolutions. 
We say, this year I'm going to, or we make covenants or contracts with ourselves and with others, or we make vows because we're trying to decide to be more self-controlled. Like, this is the year. It's gonna, everything's going to change this year. I'm, yes, this is it. And that's somewhat helpful. I mean, I think sometimes it's helpful to make those kind of decisions and contracts. And some of us, we turn to self-help books. I love reading um, nonfiction. I love reading these kind of books. I think they're incredibly helpful. We read articles online. We might take courses online. Do you know that the self-help book industry is worth about $10.5 billion in our company? And it's expected to go to $14 billion by 2025. And we read these things because we want help. Like we're looking around. There's a, there's a cry within our society to be more self-controlled, to, uh, to somehow get more out of ourselves. And I think those can be great and helpful. Maybe another one is like accountability groups. Ever join an accountability group? Um, church is infamous for these. You know, we, any addiction that's out there, you can find in a church a, uh, an addiction recovery type group. And I think they've been very helpful. And it's not just in churches. I mean, I think secular society says, hey, accountability has really helped. To live in community, to struggle with things really helps. It's a, it's, it's a good thing. And a lot of us have benefited from this. So we see the need for self-control. We actually want self-control. We work hard to be self-controlled. What's the outcome of this? And, you know, oftentimes I think self-control is elusive. You know, we, we make those New Year's resolutions. I mean, we're only what, 95 days into 2023. How many of you do, how, how well are you doing on your New Year's resolutions? You know, did you, like, you get to um, Valentine's Day and you're like, they have candy hearts in the store. I have to eat all of them. And so there goes your diet for the whole year. You know, you're done. You know, like what, what is it? Like, you know, I think those of us who are a little bit older, we don't make New Year's resolutions anymore. Not because we can't, but just because we're smarter. We're like, no way, I'm not going to disappoint myself, you know. Or we go to the accountability programs. You know, I was, I was at one point in my life in accountability for um, pornography, uh, which so many of us struggle with. And uh, I remember being in that pornography accountability group. I've never struggled with porn so much than in that group because the whole week long, it was like, don't think about porn. Don't think about porn. Don't think about porn. Don't. What are you thinking about? Porn all week long. And so while some accountability groups I think are really helpful, that one was not helpful to me. Self-control was very elusive in that group. And I think the result of that is sometimes guilt and shame. You know, we're like, I really wanted to do that. And I'm, yeah, I'm not good enough. I, I wish I could do better. Some of us actually attain self-control through some of these things. And, you know, we, we make that decision. We read the book. We join the group. And it actually works. And, you, you know, through sheer willpower, you're like, I can do this. But what's the cost of it? Because some of us have joined, you know, an accountability group. And we're like, I'm controlling this part of my life. And you don't realize that... When you suppress one emotion, you suppress all of them. You know, so when you suppress your anger, you're also suppressing your happiness. Or you suppress your emotional bouts, and you're, you're, you're basically suppressing all of the emotions. Um, I, I, I know for some of us, we have learned how to control one area of our life, but not really dealt with the issue underneath, and it's just gone sideways. And it's almost like that game at Chuck E. Cheese called Whack-A-Mole. You guys ever play whack-a-mole? Everybody should go to Chuck E. Cheese for lunch today and play whack-a-mole, you know? Because it's like, that's what self-control is like. Like, I've got this under control. That pops up. I've got this under control. That pops up. And I remember one of my friends, he got his eating and diet habits under control, and 
started having affairs. It just morphed into something else. And then maybe some of us were like, okay, well, um, I, I've worked on self-control. And somebody would say, say to you, man, congratulations, you're doing such a good job with this. But then you start to slip again. And because somebody's like said something positive to you, you're like, well, I'm slipping right now, but I don't want to admit that to anybody because I, I felt really good when they noticed that my life was under self-control and they noticed like the good things. And so you begin to live with a little bit of hypocrisy and fakeness. And it's hard, right? It's, it's hard. Like, you know, we're just, and, and it's kind of like this two steps forward, two steps back relationship with self-control. An ongoing struggle. It's self-defeating. And do you feel the pressure in this? Like I do. I, like I said earlier, I'm not really a, a man who is marked by self-control. So we have to ask the question then, if, if self-control is elusive, where does true self-control come from? That's what we want to know, right? That's why we're here. Where does it come from? Self-control that is not elusive, self-control that's not surface level, but really deals with the issues of the heart. And here's, here is the good news for today. The Apostle Paul this is a man who has spent time with Jesus face to face. He tells us that self-control is actually a fruit of the Spirit. Now, I, I want to tell you what that means, but I want to read the chapter or the, the, the passage first. So join me in reading uh, Galatians 5. It says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you, do, you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those of you who live like this will not inherit the peaceful, loving, joyful kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now here's what you need to know about fruit. You cannot make fruit grow without it being connected to a fruit tree. Do you know that? So you can't take a seed and stick it on the counter and expect it to turn it into a piece of fruit. You can't take a lemon seed and just put it there and go, yes, this is the day. It's going to turn into a piece of fruit. You can't take a lemon or, is a lemon a fruit? Okay, good. All right. I just said, I, all of a sudden I heard like the voice of someone's judging you right now. You know, <laughs> like you don't know what you're talking about, which is usually true. But I thought I, I, thought I was close enough. I'll take a pear because I know that is actually a fruit. So, but you can't take a pear and stick it in your hand and be like, and will it to grow bigger? It won't, right? The only way that pear can grow bigger is if you leave it on the tree and let it continue to grow. And so here's what Paul is saying. If you want self-control, the fruit, you have to be connected to the gospel, the fruit tree. Jesus said it like this in John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit for apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. A fruit doesn't grow on its own. It has to be connected to the vine. 
So Paul uses these two phrases in Galatians 5 that are critical. He says, walk by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit? Here's here's what he's saying. The Holy Spirit always makes much of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And he reminds us that we are the object of God's love in Jesus. You know how I know this? What is the most famous Bible passage of all time? Say it. Somebody say it. John 3.16, right? You go to a basketball game. John 3.16 is there. You go, you go to WrestleMania. Someone's got a sign of John 3.16, the most unlikely place in the world. Someone's got a John 3.16 sign. And what does John 3.16 through 17 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What's the Holy Spirit doing? Even at a basketball game, he's reminding all of us, you're loved. You're not condemned. I love you. I am for you. I want to save you. I love you so much. I like you. That's what he's reminding us of. And then he doesn't just do that. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. He actually reminds us that we are forgiven, that we have access to the throne of God, and that we are to draw near to him. So in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, and then skipping to 16, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of, the need, in time of need. So he's saying, hey, listen, when you walk by the Spirit, when you're led by the Spirit, What the Spirit's going to do is he's going to tell you, you're loved. You are forgiven. You are a son. You are a daughter of not just anyone, of the Most High King who is in control of everything. Scott said it in his campus host moment. He's the one who made the stars. He's the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is in control of absolutely everything. And the Spirit of God comes in when we walk by the Spirit, when we're being led by the Spirit, and he tells you, you are loved. You're part of the family. Now you might ask, what does knowing the love of God and knowing that you can come before the throne of God And knowing that we are sons and daughters, what does all that have to do with self-control? Now, in 1862, Victor Hugo wrote a book called Les Miserables. Anybody familiar with this? Absolutely love it. It's like one of my, it is my favorite Broadway show of all times. Um, And I'm so glad that the movie came out because those people who don't want to or can't for some reason get to a Broadway show, they got to see the amazing story of Les Miserables. And it's about a guy named Jean Valjean, Frenchman, who spent 19 years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread. And so they put him through hard labor for 19 years. And after he has paid his debt of 19 years of hard labor for stealing a loaf of bread, they release him. And fortunately for Jean Valjean, he gets to go to this house of a priest, a guy named Bishop Muriel. Now that night, Bishop Muriel is kind to him, feeds him dinner, provides a warm place for him to sleep. 
But in that moment, Jean Valjean realizes he still has nothing. He is still penniless and poor. He has no way to make it in life. And so he makes the decision to get up early in the morning before anybody in the house and take the silver where the forks, the knives, the, the plates, and anything that he can find that is silver, and he steals them and takes off because he's got to somehow get on and make a new life for himself. Well, fortunately for Jean Valjean, he gets caught by the police. They bring him back to Bishop Muriel's house, and as they bring him in saying, hey, Bishop, we just want to confirm that this silverware is yours and that uh, Jean Valjean is, a, is stealing this from you. Um, we we want to make sure that this is the, you know, that you can actually uh, testify that this is what's been done. Uh, Bishop Muriel actually says, oh, Jean Valjean, you forgot to take the candlesticks as well. And then he begins to talk to Jean Valjean about how God has given him a new life through this and that he can go on now to do something with his life. What's the point? Jean Valjean is a criminal. He's, he's been stealing. He has absolutely no self-control. And you might, you might sit there and say, listen, it's justified. You know, his family was starving, blah, 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 all that stuff. But the reality is he has no self-control. He doesn't trust that God's going to provide for him. And so he's stealing. And here's the thing. 19 years of prison and hard labor did nothing for him. He came out on the other side one night out. And he steals again. All his hard labor could not change his heart. But one act of mercy and grace, knowing he is loved, changes him forever. And you know, the part I've told you about Les Mis is the first 10 minutes of the, of the play. The rest of the show is about how Jean Valjean goes on to change everybody else's life because of the mercy that he is shown. It's an incredible testimony of living as loved, of knowing you are loved. And in the same way, when we try to attain self-control by working harder, by reading self-help books, by joining account, accountability groups, can I just tell you, all that stuff's good, but it's not enough. And you, and you may be wondering, like, am I ever going to get it right? Can I ever have self-control? And maybe you're like Jean Valjean and you just can't stop. And here's the secret sauce, is when we remember the grace and the mercy that is shown to us in Jesus, as we walk by the Spirit, as we are led by the Spirit, our hearts are changed, and self-control is one of the refractions. Now, Scripture actually gives us a few stories that illustrate this kind of heart change. And one of them is found in Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible. And if you've never read through the Bible, can I just encourage you to do it? Because there's some amazing stories. They're all about the greatness of God, about the brokenness of, of who we are as people, and how God redeems and restores. And so this particular story from the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, is a story about a man named Moses. Now, what you need to know is that Moses actually grew up in a secular household. His parents weren't believers. He grew up in Pharaoh's household. He's in the palace of the mightiest man in Egyptian history, Pharaoh. And so you need to know that Moses, even though he is a Jew, he's not an Egyptian, he grows up underneath Pharaoh's controls, which means that he has the access to the best education, 
the best accountability groups, the best, I mean, like his New Year's resolutions must have been awesome, you know, because he was just, like, he had everything around him to hold him in place to all that. But as Moses becomes a young man, he begins to realize there's something off here. He's like, my people, the Jews, are being um, used to build Egyptian, the Egyptians have them in slavery. And it's like whatever Pharaoh whims, they're saying, hey, we want the, the Hebrews and the Jews to do this. And so Moses, as a Jew, he begins to look at this and begins to realize the injustice in this. One day he's walking outside the palace and he's walking around and he sees an Egyptian man mistreating a Hebrew brother. And he's like, I'm done. Like, you just got to imagine all that anger, everything that's going on in his heart just started to well up. And he's like, I can't handle this anymore. The little red guy from inside out is like, bleh, 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 you know, like there's something going on there. And he goes over and he actually murders the Egyptian, tries to bury the Egyptian in the sand. And then the next day realizes that actually more people know about this than he realizes. That one act of self-control changed nothing. That one act of no self-control changed nothing. In fact, it actually changed it for the negative because now Pharaoh decides he's going to kill Moses and Moses realizes his only way to save his life is to run out of town. And so he leaves and he's gone for like 40 years because of that one act of lack of self-control. Man, some of us have paid dearly for lack of self-control. Moses paid dearly. But here's the cool thing that happened. Moses is out and he's like shepherding on the side of a hill. And all of a sudden there's this bush that is on fire. And the bush that is on fire, it's actually on fire, but it's not being consumed. You know, it's not being burned up. And all of a sudden a voice from heaven comes down and says, Moses, the, the, the place where you're standing is holy ground. And, God, and, and Moses begins to understand now that he's interacting with God. And here's the beautiful thing is he realizes how holy and mighty God is because you hear a voice from heaven. You see a bush that's not being incinerated but is in flames. You're like, something that is bigger than me is here. But he realizes in that moment the holiness of God but the fact that he is not being consumed as a sinner. Like there's something here. God loves me. God has something for me. God has shown me to be his son. God has given me access before him. I'm not consumed. And in that moment, man, Moses becomes a completely different person. And then the, here's the funny thing is that God actually gives Moses probably what is one of the hardest assignments in all history. He says, Moses, you know that guy that you tried to kill and so that you could you know, kind of free up a few of your brothers, I want you to go back and tell Pharaoh to let every one of your brothers and sisters, all of the Hebrews, all of the Jews, I want you to tell them, let my people go. And Moses responds like, are you crazy? Like, go in? And he's like, oh, let me make it even worse for you. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart so he's not going to say yes the first time. And then I'm going to bring a series of plagues, and it's actually going to be 11 plagues, and then the final one, the 12th one, Moses, or Pharaoh's going to say, okay, I'm out. Can you imagine like the self-control that it took? Because every time you're going before Pharaoh, it's like poking a bear. 
or poking a hornet's nest. Like, how long does this take before you walk into Pharaoh's presence? He's like, I'm done with you. You're gone. And yet God is telling him, you need to walk back in here. And Moses is like, this is going to take incredible self-control. What happened? Well, Moses knows. He's loved by God. He knows that God is over everything. He knows that God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He knows that he's over Pharaoh's heart. He knows he's over all of the Egyptians. He knows he's over all the Jews. And so he walks in there with just bold confidence, self-controlled composure, not letting his temper, not letting his tongue run, not letting his fear run, but self-controlled in that moment. Why? Because he knows he's loved. And you know, God does this amazing thing where Moses tried to free one Hebrew who was in subjection to the Egyptian, but through the self-control that God had, he frees all of the Jews. He frees all of them. And not just frees all of them, but then when the Egyptians say, well, we've made a mistake in letting the, Egyptian, in letting the Jews go, God destroys them so they will never, ever be enslaved again. That's the fruit of self-control. There's the fruit of what God wanted to do. But it didn't come because Moses is like, I'm going to join an accountability group. I'm going I'm to read another book on self-help. I'm going to make some decisions today. You know, New Year's resolution. No, it happened because Moses knew. He knew the joy of being a son. He knew the power, the self-control the power of living as God is in control and knowing that he changes things on his terms and in his timing. Now, I was thinking about this. That's a good biblical illustration, but what about, a, what about an illustration for me and you today? Like, how does this work in our lives? I, I had a friend once who, um, he, we, we used to go to church together a long time ago, and he's a great guy. But when I, when I first met him, we were sitting next to each other in the, in the pew together. I wasn't a pastor at the time. And uh, we were both in construction, actually, and so we had a lot in common, really enjoyed each other's friendships. And as, as I got to know him more, I realized something was off, but I didn't really know what it was. And then he began to tell me, man, I'm struggling with alcohol addiction. I have a massive addiction to marijuana, and I'm having affairs. And I was like, well, that's like the three big granddaddy things. <laughs> like, I don't know what else you can add to that list, you know. And uh, he's like, he's just struggling like crazy, you know, and... Then I began to get to know him a little bit more, and I realized that when he was a kid, he was molested. And so this is his coping mechanism. And I'm like, oh, my heart is just breaking for him. You know, and we're praying, we're trying to think, and then finally he gets caught. His wife catches him having an affair, and she's finally set some boundaries and says, we're not doing this again. Like, I, I see the destructive lifestyle, how this is killing us, killing our kids, not helpful. And so this brother actually who has no self-control in his life, actually joins a Celebrate Recovery type program, which is amazing, and begins to work through all that hurt and that pain and begins to see God do a tremendous work in his life. And one day he comes to me and he says, hey, Jim, um, you know, will you help me in my recovery process? And I'm like, all in, man. Like, what do you need me to do? And he's like, will you ask me the hard questions? I'm like, sure. Like, what's the hard questions? He's like, well, am I having affairs? Am I drinking alcohol? Am I smoking pot? And I'm like, those aren't hard questions. Like, those are yes or no answers. Like, do you know if you took a drink yesterday? Yes. Do you know if you smoked pot today? Yes. Do you know if you had an affair? I hope so. Like, I mean, those are easy questions, right? That's not a hard question. And he said, 
Well, then, Jim, what is the hard question? And I said, here's the hard question. Do you know that you're loved by God? Are you spending time with him to know that you're a son and a daughter? Do you know that you have access before the throne? Do you know that he's in control and that he changes things when he wants to change things? Do you push into his goodness? Are you walking by the Spirit? Are you being led by the Spirit? Those are hard questions. And when you begin to answer those and say, yeah, man, the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind the fact that I'm loved. The Holy Spirit is bringing to mind the fact that life begins to change. That's when the fruit of self-control shows up. This past week, um, I'm, I'm pretty new to Resonate, so I've only been here six months. And uh, I'm, I'm an elder here, which is a, a great privilege and also an awesome responsibility. And so I was asking a fellow elder, Paul Johnston, um, hey, Paul, how am I doing as an elder? You know, I've only been here six months. Like, what do you think? And I was, I was asking him this earlier this week. And he says, you know, Jim, I, I really appreciate you, but you need to learn patience. And I'm like, ah, like, and, and if you know me, like, that's a, that is a really hard word for me to hear. Why? Because I work really hard on patience. Like over the course of my life, I have worked to try and be a more patient person. And I think almost on a daily, per, daily basis, be more patient. And so when he says, be more patient, I'm like, oh, that's a hard thing. But he's right. He's right. Now, how do, I, how do I get more patience? How do I learn more self-control in the area of wanting things to change quicker than they are? I could read a bunch of self-help books. I could join an accountability group. I could write down my list of five goals that need to happen this week, blah, blah, blah. And all those things are good, right? I mean, with Paul holding me accountable to being more patient, that would be really helpful. So I'm not saying no to any of those things. But here's the thing. When I remember I'm loved by God, when I remember he's in control, when I remember that he needs, he's going to change things at his pace, what begins to happen in my life? Self-control. It's not something I've worked on. It's something that happens because it's a fruit. And it grows because I'm being led by the Spirit to remember the love of God for me. I'm being walking in the spirit, so I remember I'm a son. You're a daughter. I remember that he is going to change things at his pace because he is control of everything. So I've got a little thing that I think might help you this week with self-control. You know, firefighters, um, they have this phrase, it's stop, drop, and roll, right? Are you familiar with this? Like if your pants catch on fire or like something like in your... Um, kitchen, you get a grease fire and you get like on your clothes, you're supposed to like drop to the ground and roll over and it's supposed to like extinguish all the flames. I've never done it. I don't know how it, well it works, but it seems to be a good idea because firefighters keep saying it, right? So stop, drop and roll. And it's like one of those things that we teach kids, like it's easy to remember, right? So here's the thing, stop, drop and self-control. That's what I want you to remember. Stop, drop and self-control. And here's, here's what I'm saying. In those moments when it begins to press up in you, would you just stop and just pray. That's the drop part. Like fall on your knees and just say, will you remind me that I'm loved today? Will you remind me that I'm a son or a daughter today? Would you remind me that I have access before the throne? Would you remind me that I'm forgiven? Would you remind me of this? 
Because I guarantee you, if you stop and let the Holy Spirit, if you stop and you're led by the Spirit, that you are guided by the Spirit, I guarantee you in that moment, you'll have way more self-control. If you can say things like, I'm loved, I'm good right now. I don't need to push for my way. I don't need to push for quickness or my definition of efficiency or my definition of productivity. I don't need to push for this. I can let my kids mature at the, the rate that God has for them. I can let my spouse, I can let my roommates, I can let my coworkers. Like, if you can remember the, the power of God, that he's, you're being led by the Spirit, you're walking by the Spirit, and you remember he's in control, therefore you don't have to be, I guarantee you that self-control is going to come be a part of your life. Now, how do I know this for sure? Because when I look at the one who took on the greatest problems, issues, when, I t- when, it, when we look at the one who took on the sin of all time, the past, present sin, he had perfect self-control. I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus, he goes to the cross and he takes on all of our sin. And you can imagine in that moment when he is being whipped, when he is being placed on the cross, that he must have been saying, get me out of here. In fact, we even have a reference in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will. And you can imagine in that moment, like, why am I taking on the sins of everybody else? I'm perfect. This is unjust. And yet he's taking it on. I I would think that everything in a normal human's body would have said, hit the eject button. I'm going to call down a legion of angels and they're going to destroy everything right here. But Jesus has absolute self-control. Why? Why? Because remember what the father said to him right before he goes to the cross? This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And Jesus knew that the father was in control. He had put his faith in the Father, saying, I will go here because I know what you can do. And then he looked at for the joy set before him. He endures the cross. He scorns its shame because he knows what's on the other side. See, Jesus, he's not making decisions. New Year's resolution, go to the cross. He's not like reading a self-help book. There is no self-help books on what he's doing. He's the only one in history that could have done it. And he definitely didn't have an accountability group because all of his friends abandoned him. But here's what he does have. I know I'm loved by the Father. I know the Spirit is over me right now. And so not my will, but your will. And out of that comes self-control. See, if you're like a If you're like a person lacking self-control, a city broken into and without walls this week and all the things that you're up against, frustrating family situation, a financial struggle, a lawsuit, an interpersonal relationship that's not going so well, eating disorder, 
I, I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I sense a lot of pain because I know we're all human and I got that too. But can I just tell you, as sons and daughters of the living God, will you stop? Will you just drop? Will you be led by the Spirit? Will you walk by the Spirit? And will you experience the fruit of self-control? Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for your word. Thanks for your encouragement. Lord, thanks that we are sons and daughters through faith by putting our, our hope in you. You've made us sons and daughters. And thank you, Lord, that you have a pathway. Thank you, Lord, that you look at each one of us and you say, I know you lack self-control. You're not surprised by our lack of self-control at all. But thank you, Lord, that you sent Jesus to be self-controlled so we could be resurrected. Remember how loved we are. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, especially for those of us who are struggling in areas and you've convicted and you've spoken to us this morning. I, I pray, God, that you would, would you be near? Lord, would you take away any spirit of self-condemnation? Therefore, those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Remind us we're loved, Lord, and change our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give God praise.